0: This is Your Ultimate Life Podcast with Kellen Flukiger.
1: Hello and welcome to this episode of Your Ultimate Life Podcast, dedicated to helping you create a life of purpose, prosperity, and joy by serving with your divine gifts. Today, I'm grateful to have a special guest, Tom Cronin, clear from the other side of the world. And he's going to tell us some interesting things that remind you of the background. It's about meditation. Welcome to the show, Tom.
2: It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me along today.
1: You are certainly welcome. I'm grateful to to have you here. And we, you know, it's taken us a little bit to get this scheduled, but I'm super excited. So w- the first question I love to start with is just a really simple one. I, I started this podcast at the beginning of the pandemic two and a half years plus ago. And I started it with the idea of just helping people understand how to take control of their own lives and everything with what was going on, and I had to come up with a definition of ultimate life, right? So I defined the ultimate life as having a life of purpose, prosperity, and joy that you create by serving with your divine gifts. My first question for you, and I'd like you to talk a bit about it, is how would you define the ultimate
2: life? Wow, such a great question, isn't it? Um, You know, I think the one thing that I teach and the one thing that most people are looking for are fulfillment. Uh, Every single action is motivated in the quest to find fulfillment. Whether you're cleaning the bathroom floor, you feel more fulfilled when the bathroom floor is clean. Whether you're putting bottle tops on bottles in a factory, you feel better when you got rent paid. Uh, Whether you're doing crack cocaine in a ghetto in LA, you're, you know, getting high. Uh, Everything that we do is a quest to be fulfilled. So, I think the ultimate life is to have that sense of being fulfilled, you know, being in a state where we have reduced to that immense craving and lack for something more. When we've arrived at a place where we feel, yeah, and it doesn't have to be an outer world and ideally it isn't an outer world acquisition type state. It's a state that we arrive within ourselves. It's a bit like the guy behind you that arrives at a place where it bubbles up from within them. And they feel a deep sense of nourishment and blissfulness and joyfulness and inner lovingness that's liberated and free from the machinations of the outside world. I think for me, that's ultimately what an ultimate life would be like.
1: So I love that. And, you know, you mentioned some things that we sometimes turn to in pursuit of that, like, you know, substances and maybe relationships or acquisition of stuff you know toys money whatever it is and ultimately those don't bubble up from within so you know and so they are short by definition because they last as long as the external thing lasts right so what do you think drives a person maybe finally to stop looking for that to be created by an externality and starts looking for things from within
2: You know, I listened to your podcast and I have quite a similar story in some respects to your journey. You know, I I was craving, a deep craving for fulfillment in places that I just couldn't find it. And that was in a lot of drugs and drinking and um, money and just a hedonistic, indulgent lifestyle. And the thing with that is that it not only is it very short-lived, but it comes with fairly major karmic consequences. Every action has a reaction. And the reaction from that action uh, was not very healthy, not very good. And that led me down a very dark spiral uh, to deep anxiety, depression, panic attacks, insomnia, agoraphobia, had to leave my job. And what I think, you know, for me then, that's when I came across meditation and I started looking at the inner world rather than the outer world. And what I tend to find in the 25 years I've been teaching this and sharing this technique and using this technique is that it tends to be an exhaustion process it gets to a point where we we've exhausted the the outer world search for fulfillment i've tried everything i looked in fast cars i looked in fast women i looked in lots of drugs i looked in lots of money i looked in uh you know bitcoin going to sixty thousand. i looked everywhere and no matter what happened it just kept falling away from me and i think what happens is we get to a point of of finally exhausting our research into where fulfillment lies and starting to look to where it actually really exists. And that's in that inner state. And that's why if you look at any, um, one of that sort of spiritual sort of state, particularly uh, monks that have found that they don't need those outer world things to find fulfillment. It's just something that they, it rises up from within. And we have only two forms of our, of fulfillment. We have external fulfillment or what we call outcome oriented fulfillment, which is dependent upon outcomes or we have self-referred fulfillment. So um, until we exhaust our outcome-oriented fulfillment, we start looking for self-referred fulfillment.
1: So do you think, I I agree with what you said, I'm just wondering, is it necessary to go through those horrible Mm -hmm. crashes and burns before you look inward? Or can you, I mean, like you teach meditation and other things that are tools to help people get there. And I'm hoping at least that 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 we don't all have to crash and burn in a desperate way before we say gee there has to be something better so talk a little about that
2: yeah you know it's i made a film called the portal which is a little bit of a shameless plug i must admit and um and so that film explores six stories that all go through crisis and that crisis was the, the an intelligent design to guide them to their the source of fulfillment to guide them inward and that uh, during that crisis they started to use meditation and that helped them get through their their trajectory of of pain and suffering and we look at it through the lens also on the macro level we have three futurists that look at humanity's potential impending crisis we're on a on a on a pathway walking towards a cliff and it's because we are deeply in our oriented fulfillment state as a, as a collective as a society and Ideally, we want to adapt and pivot and change before we need crisis. That is how we live much more harmonious existences. We've got that capacity to subtly intuit before an event happens, how we can pivot and deviate before we get to an impending crisis. That little intelligence is within all of us, but most of us can't hear it because we've got so much noise in our lives, so much noise in our head, so much um, lack in our body. That we can't tune into that intelligent guidance system that's trying to guide us to a more harmonious, more creative, more fluid pathway. And so quite often, more often than not, if we are stubborn and are resistant and um, can't listen to that inner voice, then usually it takes something fairly substantial like crisis to be a guidance system. So crisis is not a bad thing. Crisis is also an intelligent design of evolution it just so happens that sometimes evolution needs crisis to be a directing force, like it was in your life and my life, unfortunately. Because we, particularly people like you and are a little bit stubborn.
1: Well, you know I, that's all true, and I wouldn't wouldn't say anything different than that. But if you think about it on a larger scale, um, if we have to run into crisis, I mean, are we going to destroy the world? Are we going to have widespread hunger or? You know, there's a war in Europe with madness threatening. Do we have to do that before we wake up a little collectively, or or are we going to avoid the cliff?
2: It's a really good question. It's one we pose in the film uh, as we we look at the scenario of moving towards that fork in the road. Now, fork in the road, we get to this crisis point. um, What happens at a crisis point is that. We can no longer go on the trajectory if you take a a fork in the road now the fork in the road means that the current trajectory must change you can't go straight you either go left or right or you go up or down this is a what we call a bifurcation point where things bifurcate it either breaks down or breaks through and for you you got to a crisis point we call it a rashi in sanskrit a rashi is a force of evolution so great that your current trajectory is unsustainable and you must pivot you must deviate You, you now are choiceless now, the, the, t- the pivot is either break down or break through. So a marriage will get to a pivot, it breaks down or it breaks through. A company will pivot, it breaks down, goes into bankruptcy or breaks through. A civilization, the Mayans, the Aztecs, the Easter Islanders, they break down or break through. And so we will ideally avoid the crisis point, the breakdown or breakthrough, um, and we will make as necessary changes before that happens. My feeling is we won't be that adaptive and intuitive and intelligent, unfortunately. And it most likely will be that we will most likely need a crisis of some sort to make us wake up out of our slumber. It's interesting, today is a really auspicious day, not auspicious, a big day in Australia. Um, It's a horse race and uh, we celebrate this incredible horse race with the whole country pretty much stops. And we get really drunk and we bet lots and lots of money and we watch horses get beaten with a whip running around a track. And this is one of the key uh, moments in our calendar in Australia, and um, it's this type of action that um, we just can't see the oh, the, the idiocy of, our, of our, our way of living yet, uh, because we're quite in a, we're in a slumber, and uh, usually uh, we need something quite intense to to make us wake up out of that.
1: It's fabulous. <clears throat> so I'd like to move away from you know, the grand thing to, to more personal uh, stuff, you said that you have, you know, you had some breakdown in order to, to make some different choices. It's uh, people connect better with our messes than successes. So Hmm. could you describe a little bit what brought you to your crisis point where you made a choice to break through instead of give up and die?
2: Hmm. Um, so, what, what got me into the crisis point was um, I was very stressed. Uh, I worked as a broker on a trading room floor, so very much Wolf of Wall Street. I started the same year as Jordan Belfort, Wolf of Wall Street. He started in 1987 at the age of 22. I started at the age of 19 in 1987 on a massive trading room floor, trading swaps and bonds on international markets. It was fast and furious. And because you're in this hyper stimulated state, extreme sympathetic nervous system, What happens when you're in extreme sympathetic nervous system is you have a a distinct lack of serotonin, oxytocin, melatonin, uh, which are the biochemicals for happiness, love, and sleep. And so your body's very deprived of the chemicals that make you feel good. And it's full of the chemicals that make you feel aggressive or move fast, which is adrenaline, cortisol, and norepinephrine. Because you're in that state of lack, sympathetic nervous system, which is where a lot of the world's at right now, we go craving things that are going to make us feel more fulfilled because we're not feeling very fulfilled. So, for me, that's when the drug addictions and the drinking and everything started, all, all my addictions, because I was craving a heightened experience because the current experience I was having wasn't very heightened. And that started me on a, on a trajectory of really a lot of drug taking and, and drinking to cope with that stress response that I was having in my body. And that, of course, puts you into a deeper spiral And then you spiral further and further down. I was getting anxiety, panic attacks, depression, really severe, severe dark depression and severe uh, panic attacks. Um, So that was the sort of the spiral down until one morning in 1996, I woke up and um, I literally had a a full blown nervous breakdown. I collapsed on the floor in the bathroom. I I thought I was having a heart attack and uh, a sharp pain was through my heart. I couldn't breathe. My vision blurred. My legs couldn't hold me up. I had cold clammy sweats. Um, my wife found me there curled up in a ball. Uh, I thought I was having a heart attack. Like I said, I thought I was dying and I was so depressed and so miserable. I wasn't really that enthusiastic about trying to fight out of my way, my way out of that. Uh, It was kind of like I was done, you know, I was ready to throw in the towel. If this was it, this was it, but she took me to the doctor and he explained that I was having a nervous breakdown, which was like the rug pulled out from underneath me. You know, I thought he was going to say a heart attack because they could fix that, right? You put a stent in or something and, you know, Bob's your uncle be okay. But uh, this was something that it's how do you fix that? You know, what are you going to do? How are you going to fix that? And I just was, couldn't stop crying. I was just crying and crying and crying. And uh, it was a really just unconsolable mess. Uh, He sent me to a psychiatrist. He put me on pharmaceutical drugs and sent me to therapy and put me on suicide watch. But it was in that time, really interestingly, I was sitting at home, I developed agoraphobia, so I couldn't go to work. And um, I was watching a documentary about a property developer, a very famous and successful property developer in Australia. And in that documentary, um, there was a two-minute segment how we used meditation, a particular style of transcendental meditation, as a tool for his success. And this was in the 90s. And um, it was like a light bulb moment for me. Uh, it was a moment that I saw him sitting in a chair in a pinstripe suit meditating. And uh, I never thought of meditation, never came across meditation. I grew up on a farm, went to an all boys school, worked on a trading room floor, never came into my life. And uh, there it was in front of me, and it was like a light bulb moment. So that's when I picked up the Yellow Pages phone book and started looking up meditation, and particularly Transcendental Meditation. And, and I rang around all the different meditation centers in Sydney and started my journey and my quest to find inner fulfillment.
1: So that's a dramatic story. And, you know, you said, it felt like I was dying. Well, you were, mm. <laughs> you know, as yeah. a matter of fact, you collapsed on the floor, you were dying, perhaps more spiritually than physically, but you were. Yeah. And that was, that was the, 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 wake up call. But you know what I notice, and I don't know how goes went with you, but even when you have those wake up moments, which are, essentially invitations right invitation Mm. to do something else to try something else you still have to do the work you still have to do something different and sometimes people think that those kind of moments are magic and suddenly all your problems are solved and i certainly didn't experience that i don't know about you so you started calling meditation centers and then what
2: well it's interesting you know it was quite a rapid transformation for me um partly because the technique was so efficient and so potent. and That's what I really loved about it. You know, I I tried different types of meditation. There was Tibetan bowls and chakra clearing and some I just didn't really resonate with, but this one was deep and it was effective and it was quick and it was backed by science. And so, um, this was transcendental meditation. So what happened was because the deep profound rest that was happening in the meditation experience, it it shifted my body out of the the parasympathetic nervous system state into the parasympathetic nervous system state, which is the peace response. And so all those biochemicals of cortisol, adrenaline and norepinephrine started to dry up and I started producing more serotonin, oxytocin and melatonin. I started sleeping better. I started feeling calmer. I started feeling happier. And this was an internal shift that was happening simply because I was getting deep rest through the meditation experience, physiological deep rest. And phenomenally, um, my anomalies went away very quickly. I went back to work into the same chair the same company speaking to the same clients in the same markets for 16 more years as a broker and all my addictions and uh, it wasn't like I was a perfect enlightened monk that's for sure there was still um, you know it took a while before I started to really iron out a lot of the creases and that's an ongoing process I'm been meditating for 26 years now and I still aren't a perfect enlightened monk, still have my own shadow side and things that I work through, but definitely life gets smoother, calmer, happier, and more joyful and more successful. I live, living more of the ultimate life.
1: You know, it's really important, I think, to, to uh, I'm going to repeat a couple of things that you said, maybe to underline them for the audience. Even though changing direction can produce rapid results as you noticed. and started getting better sleep and deep physiological rest during the process that resonated with you which is tm transcendental meditation and i'll ask you more about that in a minute you still had to maintain the practice you were drawn to it because it started producing results but you noticed and you said and i want to make sure everybody hears this that it's a process and that there are kinks to iron out and there isn't some magical thing that makes all of the old inclinations vanish you notice them you choose something different and even as an ongoing process to continue to grow and i say that not by way of discouragement but so many people when they start meditation or some other practice they'll give it five minutes or five days and they'll say oh it's not working can't i can't do it not for me or whatever instead of sticking with the process I'd like you to talk for a minute on how you help people overcome the, I don't have time or doesn't work for me or any of that kind of conversation as you guide them into this tool.
2: Yeah. It's definitely one of the big impediments that most people have with the practice is that they're busy schedules, that the lives that they live, you know, we've got to think about this, that meditation, like that dude behind you, Um, Dressed like that, one would assume that he most likely lives in a monastery. He's most likely removed himself from the distractions of the outside world. That is, wives, children, uh, work, financial issues, lives in a monastery, has his food provided for him. So he can dedicate large amounts of time to his practice and find inner peace much more quickly. For most of us though, and this is one of the very first times this has ever happened on the planet, traditionally people that sought spiritual awakening, spiritual practice, um, enlightenment, couldn't integrate in the world. The world was too incongruent with that level of consciousness. And so they had to, by default, go and remove themselves from the world, live in a monastery in Ashram in the mountains of Spain or Italy or Tibet or Mongolia or India, and they were exclusive from the world. Now, this is the first time in literally the last 30, 40 years we've seen the integration of spiritual practices into daily life. So now we've got to find our way. How do I integrate my commitment to my spiritual side, my spiritual um, existence. Whilst I have a job, whilst I have children, whilst I have a wife, whilst I have friends and football teams and all the other things that are going on. And so, it's about trying to allocate a portion of time to something that's really important. And what I do with my clients is I teach them their, their, my, what I call my seventy-two-twenty method. So, what I realized when the teacher said, ideally, we recommend two meditations a day of 20 minutes. Now, I was like, dude, I'm a busy broker. There's no way I can fit that in. I've got a lot on my plate and uh, I'm a very important person. But I realized that everything that we're doing is the quest to find fulfillment, every action is motivated by that. And there I was, considering whether I wanted to even live my life and struggling from anxiety and depression and addictions. So, I knew that my allocation of my day was not serving me very well when it comes to being fulfilled and i looked at my day and had 24 hours in it and every hour has three portions of 20 minutes that means that every day comprises of 72 20 minute pieces of pie that we allocate in the quest to find fulfillment and i thought well look if this teacher and all the science is backing and supporting the idea that if i sit for two meditations once in the morning once in the afternoon for 20 minutes then by default i'm going to be more fulfilled and if that's the quest in all you know action, then maybe I should at least test that. I'll do some research. So I thought i will give it 21 days and do two meditations a day for 21 days. Lo and behold, everything had changed. And um, all I say to my students is, you've got 72 20-minute pieces of pie that you're trying to find fulfillment through. Just take two of them out and just park them on the side and make them unconditionally available for meditation. You still have 70 pieces of pie. 70, 20-minute pieces of pie to sleep, to go to the gym, to go to the movies, to make love, to eat ice cream, to go to work. Um, Just take two out of 72. And it's very attainable when we did that.
1: It is. And one of the things I notice, and I want your thought on this too, is I don't find that it takes time. And people sort of balk at that a little bit, but I find that when I take the time to meditate, even for longer periods of time, that decisions are clearer, there's less There's less process, there's less redos. You know, you tune into intuition and you're able to find and feel correctness faster. And so uh, my discovery is at the end of the day, it creates time. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, there's an interesting phenomenon. We call, um, it, we call um, meditators time billionaires. It's a really interesting process because when we remove the stress response from action action becomes much more effective much more potent and we have much more capability in action when we're having less stress response or no stress response and it, it, there's a couple of things firstly we don't have that stress response which means we get tired we get exhausted we can't do things because and then because the, because of that we start drinking and all the other things that lead to a spiral into a deterioration of our ability to act well and act efficiently. So firstly, we we remove that because we don't have the stress response. But secondly, we access when we meditate a field of creative intelligence. And the analogy I like to use is this is the phone. So inside the phone is a software. It's called an iOS if it's a phone. And it's programmed by outside programmers, just like we have inside our brain a software that's programmed by outside programmers, like our parents, our genetics, our society programs a software. But the phone's greatest capability is not the intelligence that's in the phone. It's the intelligence it accesses outside the phone. Because the phone's inside the world web of information. The world wide web of information is not inside the phone, the phone's inside it. And so when we meditate, we open our mind up out of the internal operating system that we're trying to live our life by, which is deeply coded. And we start accessing the field of intelligence, the field of infinite possibility, the field of all creative potential lies in the open field outside of the brain. And when we meditate, we start to access that field. Now, the thing is, everything that has been manifest in the world has been manifest as an idea from that field of infinite possibility. The phone, the glasses, the mouse that's on my desk, the keypad that's on my desk, the biro that's on my desk. Every single one of them could not be designed, created and manifest into a form unless it was cognized as an intention and a desire or an impulse out of that field of possibility. And what excites me is that everything that ever will be created is also in that field right now. And I ask my students just start playing with the field and ask, what can you manifest and pull out of the field that's yet to be manifest and created because it's going to be done at some point. So it's, it gets really exciting. We get very creative and get very dynamic with uh, the life that we, we manifest.
1: You know, there's a, along those lines or something that I think about, I, talk about the line between possibility and reality is just extraordinarily thin because possibility mm-hmm. is just reality that hasn't been organized yet into the into the thing and like you said in some reality in some quantum space it already exists yeah and our our, our opportunity and this is the the breakthrough or one of the big breakthroughs i find in meditation is when you realize that every minute you spend in meditation creates 10 you know because of what you said your ability to access it's like suddenly your shelf of tools got bigger your decision making clarity the things you do want and don't want get clearer like when you or i were hogtied in that you know nonsensical spiral of of whatever we call it our decision making was terrible We couldn't weigh things properly we couldn't decide when all of that's cleared away decisions that might have taken an hour or two are done in seconds you simply know from that place and so i love the way you described it and i want all the listeners to go back and listen to that because Tom talks fast and that's yeah. good. And I do that sometimes too. But on this episode, I'm talking slowly as the counterpoint to his rapid speech. And I love it. So don't slow down at all. And listen carefully because the possibility that you want to have is already there. And if you choose the tool of meditation, it sharpens your vision, your creative intuition and your ability to pull it into reality. So I want you to tell people how to, how to get a hold of you. I want you to tell some of your things that have happened for clients. I want you to sort of talk a little bit about why this is so important and what it has done for others that you help with this process.
2: Yeah. I've taught thousands and thousands of people all around the world. Um, you know, what we were just talking about then, what I really loved when I was doing more research into this, cause I had to do a talk on um, the ability to listen just recently at a large insurance company and um, I came across an interesting phenomenon, which was staring at me in the face, but I couldn't see it until I did that research that listen and the word silent have the same letters in it and that we, we find it easier to listen if there's more silence. And so when we silent the mind, the nervous system, the physiology, and yet we're still conscious and awake, and we start to integrate this on a daily basis, we start to have a more conscious capability to listen to that guidance system that's inside of us to move through life more successful and ultimate life because we actually came as divinity into form to live the ultimate life. That's why I came here, not to live a shitty life. We came here to live an ultimate life. And interestingly, when we start to align with our path, by default, we start living a more ultimate life. I wouldn't say perfect life, but definitely a more ultimate life. And so um, this is just one of the the, um, interesting things that happens to my students. And like I said, you know, I've taught thousands of them around the world, and we start to find that their lives become less um, tumultuous, less conflicted, less turbulent. They just tend to become more serene, um, now, you've got to remember, our society does not subscribe to serenity. Uh, if you look at any Netflix TV show or movie, you're going to find intense drama because we're deeply coded that we should be having drama. We, if we don't have drama, we should create it because that's <laughs> what we want to watch. It's what we want to live. And so, people will have a nice serene life and then they'll go and screw it up because they just can't imagine what life would be like without having anything that's kind of chaos, chaos in it. <laughs> so, getting right. people familiar with not having chaos is a big part of it.
1: I love that. I love that. And, you know, as you describe that, there's, I wrote a five volume series on meditation 10 years ago and I distill it no matter what the style is to three things, be still enough to be, or slow down enough to be where you are and when you are Two, be still enough to notice what is there, which is what you talked about about silent and listen. And I hadn't realized those are the same words either. So that's fabulous. And the third thing is trust. What comes to you is truth. And, and so when people say, what is that? Well, slow down enough to be where you are. Be still enough to notice what is there and trust what comes to you as truth. That's, the, that's what we're trying to do with yeah. the activity of, of meditation, however you want to practice it. So tell people how to get a hold of you. If they want to follow you if they want to learn more about you, if they want to read your stuff. How would we do that?
2: Yeah, I think one of the easiest and most accessible places for me is Instagram. Uh, I'm very active there. So, they can find me at Tom Cronin, just one word, T-O-M-C-R-O-N-I-N. And for a meditation teacher, I do talk quickly. It's really interesting, isn't it? <laughs> I listen back to me on podcasts and say, go, gosh, I talk quickly. Um, so, Tom Cronin on Instagram, and you know, reach out, send me a message. I always respond to all my messages. Uh, and um, they can go to my website, TomCronin.com.
1: I love the fact that you have your name with a name like Kellen Flukiger. There was no competition. And <laughs> no. I, I didn't. I paid $2 for my website, right? Because who wants that, right? All right. Well, I do. Well, thank you. Uh, and I'm glad you talked quickly. You talk quickly because you're excited. And love wants to express and enthusiasm wants to create. And that you're both. And it's fabulous to have you as a guest today. So thank you.
2: It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me along. It's been wonderful chatting with you. Great start to my day.
1: Fabulous. So I want all of you to listen to this at least two or three more times and listen to the good parts where Tom was ranting two or three or four times. Take it apart and take some notes. I can tell you for sure, if you do that, you're going to have good help on creating your ultimate life.
2: Thank you for
0: listening to today's episode